you want to turn to Matthew chapter 14, we're going to go there here in just one second. And as you're turning there, I'll just kind of give you a little bit of an update, what's happening, what's going on. Uh, Today is the first Sunday of the month, if I'm calculating things correctly. I'm a little sleep deprived right now, I'll tell you about that in a second. But um, this first first Sunday of the month, and so every first Sunday we give a little bit of an update about what we're doing here at Calvary Tabernacle. we have started back in the month of May, we started something that we call Bible Missions Sunday, and our goal here at Calvary Tabernacle is to help get the Bible into the hands of believers all across the world in their native language and in their native country. Um, you may know, you may not know that in some places of the world, the Bible is illegal, It's illegal, or maybe it's considered propaganda by some governments, Uh, but even in those places, there are Christians, there are believers, there are brothers and sisters in Christ who are doing the work of the ministry, and uh, just as you and I need the Word of God in our lives here in our hometown, they need the Word of God where they're at too, and uh, they're they're desperately trying to share the Word of God with the the world around them, Uh, but for a lot of people, it's a it's a Sad reality, but it's hard to find the Word of God for them where they are at. And so we have taken it upon ourselves here at Calvary Tabernacle to support a couple of organizations that do just that. They take this Bible into places where it's illegal or dangerous to take it, and they're translating it into languages that the Bible has never been translated into before. And so we wanted to give you a little bit of an update on that this morning. Uh, Each month we've we take what's given in our offerings on the first Sunday and anything that you designate throughout the month on your uh, tithe and offerings em- envelopes, we put it towards this ministry right here. And uh, so far to date, we have translated 49 verses of Scripture into a different language somewhere. So, yeah, come on, that's really cool. That would be like us translating the sixth chapter of the book of Luke into a language that has never had it before. And in this chapter, uh, Luke chapter 6, we hear that Jesus, he heals many people. He chooses his 12 disciples. He preaches the Beatitudes. He preaches on love for our enemies and about the wise builder and more. All just in that one little chapter, we get so many good uh, little spiritual nuggets to live off of. And now there's others across the world that will be able to, to take in that same message that we've heard and be able to walk it out in their lives. So thank you so much for that. And up to date so far, we have been able to help get 337 Bibles smuggled into countries where it's dangerous, illegal, or otherwise. So that's awesome. Come on. That's really cool. And uh, so I want to thank you for that. But I know that just hearing that from me up here, it's, it, it probably doesn't mean a whole lot for me to just say thank you, but to believers around the world who desperately want the Word of God. There are are some pastors in other countries that are preaching from children's Bibles just because they can't get their hands on a full copy of Scripture. So they're taking children's Bibles and preaching their Sunday morning messages from these children's Bibles. So to have a full copy of the Bible, it's like they struck like they, they, they have hit the jackpot right there. So thank you so much. If I could bring all of these believers up here that have been impacted by what we've already done, I'm sure we would have uh, just an amazing time hearing their stories and testimonies. But for now, it'll just have to do uh, with you hearing me say thank you. So thank you so much, church, for giving and loving the way that you do. Amen. Uh, <laughs> Friday night, uh, my wife Emily and I, we... We embarked on a journey that every youth pastor dreads, and that is, that is the uh, yearly lock-in for our youth students. <laughs> uh, in case you don't know what a lock-in is, uh, whenever they come, they show up in the evening. We, we started showing up around 7 or 8 o'clock here, and uh, we, we close and lock the doors at 10 p.m. Nobody in, nobody out until the next morning. And we stay up all night and do things that full-grown adults have no business doing in the wee hours of the morning 
Uh, but we did it, and it was fun. Had a great time in worship. Had a great time uh, studying the Word of God together. We had 43 students that came, and uh, we just had a, a wonderful time together. So, yeah, thank y'all for helping make that possible and allowing us to do that. So, that's all I got as far as updates are concerned. But I want to get into the Word of God now. Matthew chapter 14. The title of my message, if you're taking notes today, is Going to the Deep End. Going to the Deep End. Whenever I was a kid, I was incredibly shy and incredibly timid, and uh, which is why I think it's funny today that what I do is speak in front of people. Like, you know, I never would have thought I would ever do that because I'm just so shy and so timid and everything scared me. Uh, but whenever I was a kid, I was terrified of going swimming because I had this irrational fear. I mean, you know, it's, it's rooted in a good spot, but I had this irrational fear that if I put my foot in water, I was just going to drown. Like, that's it. I'm done. And uh, so I, I never really cared much for the water. I learned how to swim at six years old, uh, but I've, I just was real scared of the water. Never enjoyed really going swimming like most other kids do. Um, not only that, but I'm very fair-skinned, so you know, I just look at the sun from inside and I get sunburned. Uh, but anyways, I remember being a child and, and looking at the deep end and watching all the other kids playing in the deep end and thinking, man, I wish I could do that. Like, I wish that that could be a reality for me. And the reality was I could. I knew how to swim. I was just scared of the deep end. And I think that comes from having, as a small child, almost drowned a couple of times. Uh, but I was just always afraid to go out into the deep end. And one day, my dad, he was swimming with, swimming with us, which didn't happen just a whole lot. He didn't care much for the water either. But he was swimming with us, and, and uh, I was just playing around the shallow end. And everybody else is in the deep end. He's like, why don't you go out there and play with them? I was like, Dad, I'm, I'm scared of the deep end. He said, well, it's just like the shallow end, except it's deeper. And for me, that just kind of almost clicked, like, oh, I guess if I'm swimming in the shallow end, I could swim in the deep end, too. And what was happening is my dad was giving me this invitation, just go out there, just have fun. And it always helps, too, to know that you've got someone that you love and trust that's watching out for you, right? And so that day I went to the deep end, and it changed my life forever. Uh, but Matthew chapter 14 kind of gives us another story that, that kind of surrounds this idea of, of going out into something that you're not familiar with or something that you might be a little too afraid or shy to do. So let's read about that. Matthew chapter 14. We're going to start in verse 22. Again, we're sorry. We normally have the scripture up on the screens, but we'll have to, you'll, we'll have to do with an actual Bible in your hands, right? I'm going back old school. So here we go. Uh, Matthew chapter 14, verse 22. Immediately after this, Jesus insisted that his disciples get back into the boat and cross to the other side of the lake. And this is right after Jesus feeds the 5,000. While he sent the people home. After sending them home, he went up into the hills by himself to pray. Night fell while he was there alone. Meanwhile, the disciples were in trouble far away from land, and a strong wind had risen, and they were fighting heavy waves. About three o'clock in the morning, Jesus came toward them walking on the water. And when the disciples saw him walking on the water, they were terrified. And in their fear, they cried out, it's a ghost! But Jesus spoke to them at once. Don't be afraid, he said. Take courage. I am here. Then Peter called to him, Lord, if it's really you, tell me to come to you walking on the water. Yes, come, Jesus said. So Peter went over the side of the boat and walked on the water toward Jesus. That verse will never get old to me. But when he saw the strong wind and the waves, he was terrified and began to sink. Save me, Lord, he shouted. And Jesus immediately reached out his hand and grabbed him. You have so little faith, Jesus said. Why did you doubt me? And when they climbed back in the boat, the wind stopped. Then the disciples worshipped him, saying, You really are the Son of God. Jesus, we thank you for this word. 
Holy Spirit, I pray that your word would come alive inside of each and every single one of us today, God, that we wouldn't just hear your word and, and just think about it, God, but we would allow it to also sink down deeply inside of our hearts and cause us to be changed and cause us to take action in the world that we live in so that it can be changed too. In Jesus' name, someone say amen. 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 Here's point number one this morning. We're in the same boat. Look at the person you're sitting beside and say, we're in the same boat. We might come from different walks of lives. We might be different ages. Uh, we might have had a different family dynamic growing up. Um, you, you may be from different places of the world. You might have different problems, different struggles, but we're all in the same boat. We're all in the same boat. And I love this story right here because it's this incredible story. The disciples, Jesus tells the disciples they just got done feeding 5,000 people with just a little boy's lunch. No big deal, right? And uh, so they've seen the miraculous. They've seen all these things happen. Jesus tells them, he says, get in the boat and go to the other side. And I'm reading from the New Living Translation this morning. It says Jesus insisted. You might be reading from King James or ESV. It says that Jesus made the disciples get in the other boat or get in the boat. But Jesus, however you read it, Jesus told the disciples, get in the boat and go to the other side. And they get in the boat. And they go to the other side. Jesus dismisses the crowd, and then he goes off to be alone and to pray. And uh, the disciples, as they are in the middle of the lake of Galilee, uh, you might be reading from the Bible, it says the sea. Uh, it's actually not a sea, it's a lake. Uh, but they're in the middle of this large lake, and a storm comes, a windstorm. And it makes the water choppy and rough, and, and the disciples, they're a little bit scared. They're they're like rowing, you know, against the wind. They're, you know, pailing water out of the ship or out of the boat, you know, doing everything they can to, to stay afloat and to get to the other side. And, and as they're out there doing all these things, all of a sudden they see someone come walking up to them. And as you can imagine, they were terrified. Because who walks on water? I mean, you know, they're like, we've never seen anything like this before. We're probably about to die right? Like, <laughs> I mean, they're just thinking, what is this? What's going on? It's a ghost! Like, they can't think of what it might be besides the fact that this is just some, something that's happening that they're just not used to. So they cry out, it's a ghost, and Jesus walks up to them, and he says, don't be afraid. It's, it's just me. It's me, Jesus. The one you've been following, the one you know, the one that you, you've, you, my voice is familiar to you now, it's me. And I love so much, I love Peter's response to this moment. Just remember, they're tired. They had spent an entire day doing ministry with over 5,000 people. That, and that's just men, that doesn't include the women and children. There could have been 10, 15, or 20,000 people there that they had been ministering to and feeding. Imagine 13 people catering an event for up to 10, 15,000 people. They're tired. And then they get in a boat, and now they're facing a storm. They're really tired. And they're, they're, now they're thinking they're delusional because they're seeing something out on the water. And then they hear this voice that's familiar. Oh, don't worry, it's just me. I love Peter's response. Jesus, if it's really you, tell me to come out on the water to you. Think for a moment, what if it wasn't Jesus? <laughs> like, I don't know if this never crossed Peter's mind, but he's just like, Jesus, if it's really you, then tell me to come out to you, walking on the water. And what does Jesus say to him? Come on. Come on. Who gets out of the boat? Peter. He gets out of the boat. And Peter walks on water. That'll never get old to me. Because if we were reading this right here, that Jesus walked up to the boat and he just hopped on, we would assume, wow, you know, God is incredible. He can do anything. But it takes it to a whole nother level whenever Peter steps out of the boat 
And the power that is within God, the power that is within Jesus and his word, yes, come. That enables Peter, a man just like me, with physical body and two legs and a heartbeat to say, you know what? If God could call Peter out on the water, maybe he could call me too. Peter steps out of the boat. He's crazy. I, listen, I would probably be like Thaddeus or Bartholomew, or Thomas, or, or even Judas. No one even likes Judas. He's in the boat right there. He's hearing the same message, but Peter's the only one that steps out. I want you to notice whenever Peter said, Lord, if it's really you, call me out to you, walking on the water. Jesus doesn't say, okay, Peter, come on. What does he say? Come. To me, that says that this invitation was not just for Peter, this invitation was for the whole boat. Can you imagine how different this story might have been if Peter got out of the boat? And then Andrew's like, oh, I'm going too. Get, get me out of here. This is cool. And then Thaddeus is like, well, you're not leaving me out, guys. Here I come. And, and all of a sudden, Jesus and his disciples are all standing on the water and the boat's just drifting off and they're just having a good time. Like, I can't imagine Here's the thing, all of them were in the same boat. All of them were in the same storm. All of them heard the same invitation, but only one stepped out of the boat. And so I want to encourage us today, and, and the, the, I want to really, through this message, I want to instill courage in you, but I also want to kind of challenge us today. Because a lot of us will say, well, you know, God's called them out, but they don't have a past like I do. They haven't messed up like I have. They don't struggle with crippling depression like I do. You know, they, they don't know the pain that I've got in my body. You know, they, they don't know the emotional torment and trouble that I've been through. And, and, you know, God can call them out. But, you know, if God calls me, like, it's a, it, it's a different, we're playing a different ball game here. Can I challenge you today? And I, I honestly, sincerely from my heart, I don't mean to, to minimize your, what you're going through or the troubles that you've experienced in life, but can I challenge us today? The invitation was not just for Peter, it was for the whole boat. And we're all going through things in our lives, and every single one of us is going through storms and troubles and, and trials and temptations, but the invitation was for everybody. If Peter could step out of the boat, and we remember Peter, as we read through the Gospels, as being the loud mouth, the quick temper, and, and just kind of a, a little bit of a troublemaker, you know? And, and uh, I mean, he was the one, we talked about it last week, he's the one rebuking Jesus, and Jesus is like, get behind me, Satan. I mean, how would you feel if Jesus called you Satan? Probably not too well. Uh, but here he is calling Peter. He's saying, come out. Come on out. If you want to come, come on out. And Peter, he steps out. He's got a past too. He's got troubles too. He's in the same storm. But he's the only one that steps out. And I want to encourage you today, if there's been a moment in your life where you felt like, I, like, I know God's calling me. I know God has desires for me. But it's really hard for me to, to get out of the boat that I'm in. Can I encourage you today? It might be hard but it'll be good. It'll be good. Listen, we're talking about Peter. Anybody remember what Peter did for a living? He's a fisherman. He spent his life, his career, out on the water. That's what he did. Is he, he spent all day in a boat catching fish. He knew the situation he was in. He knew the waters that their boat was in. That was his lake. That was the one he went to to make his money. He knew the laws of nature. If I get out of the boat, I will sink. If I don't swim, I will sink even further. Like He knows what's going to happen as he steps out of the boat. Think about this. Peter, of all the people there that day, he knew, if I step out of this boat, I'm going to sink. But he also knew Jesus. 
And I love Peter's heart in that moment. He's like, Jesus, if it's you, this is going to be awesome. If it's not, this may be my last day. But I just want this moment with God so bad, I'm willing to risk it. I'm just going to get out of this boat and make my way towards Jesus. If that was the heart of every believer, I truly believe that there might not be another person on this earth that would be unsaved because our faith would be so big, we would go out and reach the lost. We would go out and reach those uh, that, that we've just written off as being, well, you know, they're kind of weird. You know, they got a whole different kind of theology over there. They already believe all this weird junk over here, so I'm not going to go impose my religion on them. No, listen, we need to step out in faith. We've got the greatest message right here. We know the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. No laws of nature can hold us back. We need to start stepping out of the boat, church. Come on. And honestly, I, I told you again, I want to fill you with courage. I don't, I'm not trying to beat anybody, <laughs> you know, with a stick. But honestly, we make too many excuses, church. I make too many excuses, we got to remember, we're in the same boat. We have been given the same calling. We have been given the same instruction and invitation from our God, the living God. Peter wasn't just walking out to some ghost. As Jesus is walking on the sea, he's walking on the sea that he created. He has all power, all dominion, all authority. And if he says, come... We better just show up. We better step out. So point number one, we're all in the same boat, so we don't have an excuse. And here's point number two. God is calling you out. He's calling you to come out to the deep end. <laughs> I love this. There was a, a, a professor at Bible school that I went to, and he told us all the time, he said, God will call you to do dangerous things. And at first I was like, no, he won't, because he's good. The Bible tells me he's my protector. He's my provider. He's not going to call me out to do dangerous things. The Bible tells I read my Bible. The Bible tells me the Holy Spirit is my comforter. Why would he call me out to dangerous things if he's my comforter? He's going to make me feel good about myself. <laughs> I'm a little bit wiser now. I'm not saying I've got it figured out. But I've learned that God will call you to some dangerous places. We're putting money into a ministry where that's what people do. They take the Bible into places that are being ravaged by Islam and being ravaged by ISIS and other terrorist groups. And they're taking these Bibles knowing that if they get caught, off with their heads. And listen, I've, I've met pastors in some of these places. I've met missionaries in some of these places that that's all they do is take the Bible from one country across the border into the next country and give it to a, a local pastor. That's all they do. Every day, they go back and forth, border hopping, taking Bibles into illegal places, knowing that that day could be their last. And tell me God won't call someone to a dangerous place. These, and these pastors, these missionaries, they're not walking around like, oh, this is a burden the Lord has given me. Oh. They've got some excitement the one pastor, he had on this big, oh, it's like a 70-liter backpack, like one that you would use for backpacking, huge backpack, crammed full of Bibles, no telling how much that thing weighed, and we're walking across the border of, of a communist country, and he's got the biggest smile on his face. And uh, we, we rented a, a, like a van that was a taxi right there at the border after we crossed into the country. We rented this van. And uh, the, the taxi driver, he gets out and he goes and he opens the trunk of the van and he, he tells the pastor, he's like, let me, let me help you with your bag. And the pastor, he told us, he's like, if anyone offers to help you with your bag, don't let them do it. Because your bag may look small, but it's going to be heavy and they're going to be wondering what's in this bag, right? So the guy came over, he's like, let me help you with your bag. And he's like, no, 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 don't, don't touch my bag. I've got a bunch of valuable stuff in here. The guy said, well, what are you bringing? What do you, what do you have? He said, I've got bread. 
The guy said, bread? He's like, trust me, this is the best bread that money could ever buy. He's like, I don't want anybody else touching my bread. And he puts, he, he, he sits down in the back of the trunk to take the backpack off because it's so heavy. And the taxi driver's just like, okay, <laughs> shuts the door and, and we get all inside. And this pastor, as we're driving down the road, he's, he's talking, but kind of in, you know, this, this code word, you know, he never says the Bible. He always says bread. And so, you know, he's telling us these stories about things he had done and stuff. And the whole time his heart is just on cloud nine. He's just loving life, loving, living for the Lord. And this is in a place that if he gets caught, he doesn't even get a court hearing. He just gets put under. And he loves it because God has called him to it. And he's been obedient and he's stepped out of the boat into what God has told him to do. If we could all just have that same heart in us, that God, he might not just call us to a life of comfortable living, in the American dream, but he might just call us into something that's a little bit uncomfortable, that's going to take a little bit of courage to say, you know what, I'll pick my foot up and step over this boat, and I'll get in the water with you. I'm going to the deep end. I'm going, look at your neighbor and say, I'm going to the deep end. I'm going to the deep end. I think a lot of us have settled and I'm not just saying a lot of us in this room, but a lot of us Christians, we have settled for this shallow Christianity where we will claim the name of Jesus, we will claim all the benefits and uh, all of the, uh, the wonderful promises, but whenever it comes to the parts of the Bible that are a little bit difficult for us to to cope with. We're just like, I don't know about that. <laughs> I don't know. I may, I, may just, uh, I may just skip this page real quick. Uh, let's go to something else and, and read about some of the other good things. Can I challenge us today? Our God is a good God, and he may call us out to the deep end, and it may seem terrifying as it was for the disciples in that boat, but it's going to be a good thing. Can I encourage your heart this morning? Don't settle for just a shallow Christianity. As believers, it's time for us to take a step. It's time for us to put our faith into action. I want to show you what I mean. I don't know how many of y'all have ever had one of these. Anybody ever had one of these right here? What is this? It's a Lunchable. All right, just, just y'all, I'm a youth pastor, so you got to interact with me here. How many of you have ever eaten a Lunchable? Just go ahead and raise your hand. All right. So, some of the, we won't say old, but some of the elderly saints in the room are like, <laughs> some of the kids are like, oh, all day, baby, all day, I got this, I got this. I don't know if you knew this about Lunchables, uh, but they were created in 1988, um, and it came not from a desire to make something fun and interesting, but it came because, this is, this is a true story, it came because bologna sales in America had hit a wall. Americans could not sell bologna anymore, and I wonder why. My dad loves bologna. I tell him all the time, Dad, this, this, is, not, this is not it. You're not living right. I mean, some of y'all are like, don't talk about my baloney like that. I'm sorry. I still love you. But baloney sells it hit a wall. And Oscar Mayer has this huge, this is a true story, Oscar Mayer has this huge stockpile of baloney that they need to get rid of. And they need to get rid of it before it spoils. And so they're like, we've got to come up with a way to convince people to buy what they don't want to buy. At that same time, there's a focus group that's studying working mothers. And what they have found out is that working mothers were way overstressed because they've got to get up in the mornings, and before they get themselves ready for work, they've got to get their kids ready for work, feed them breakfast, and prepare their lunch to send them off to school with before they can go to work. And so there was this new emerging problem in America that, that mothers didn't have time to, to do all this. And so there was this one group that said, if we could make lunch easy for moms, we might could put our bologna in it. And they would buy it and give it to their kids. They don't got to eat it. So 
Let's just feed it to the kids, right? <laughs> Along comes Lunchables. This, is the, this was the solution to their problem. Lunchables. Uh, fun fact, uh, whenever they were coming up with a name for Lunchables, uh, the name Lunchables emerged from a list of other possible names, including Cracker Witches, uh, Mini Meals, Square Meals, Walk Meals, I guess probably because the Walkman was popular back then, so they got the Walk Meals, Go Packs, uh, let's see, what else, uh, Snackables, and Fun Meals with a Z. <laughs> and they settled on Lunchables, they liked Lunchables, I guess. But here's the crazy thing about it is their plan worked. These things started flying off the shelves. I can remember, y'all, I'm not old, I'm still a baby. I can remember in the 90s as a young child in the 90s, these things were, they were the craze. It's what every kid wanted. They didn't want your boring lunch, mom. They wanted a Lunchable. And that's how they started selling. And moms would just buy these for the kids. Now not only are they taking them to school, this is what they're eating at home. Right? And some of y'all laughing really loud like I did that. <laughs> that was me. I contributed. And so here, here we, I got a pizza's Lunchable right here. Let me open this up. So for those of you, let's just take a real quick poll. For those of you uh, that have done a Lunchable before, uh, how many of you thought it was delicious? <laughs> Far fewer hands. There's like six people that are like, dude, mm-hmm. We need to have a praise break right now, right? The thing about Lunchables, <laughs> in my honest opinion, I, I grew up with a mom that cooked. And I've got a wife that went to culinary school. Lunchables are not where it's at for me, okay? Uh, but, you know, you can get your little pizza. You can put your little bit of sauce on it. You got your cheese. Mmm, I wonder how real that is. Uh, you can put some of that on there. It's got these pepperonis, which it, it actually does have quite a few pepperonis, like way more than will fit on this little bitty bread right here. But, you know, you, the kids can take these to school and open it up, and they start making their own lunch. Mom doesn't have to make it anymore. And all of a sudden, the other kids are like, dude, that's so cool. I got to get my mom to get me some of those. Lunchables is 34 years old now. Last year, they sold over $1.3 billion worth of that. So some of y'all that didn't raise your hand earlier, whenever I asked you, have you ever had a Lunchable? Some of y'all must have been lying. That's $1.3 billion with a B of, of Lunchables. The CEO, the former CEO of Lunchables, was quoted as having said early on in the years of, of Lunchables, because there's always been controversy around this food, because they're terrible for your health. <laughs> and the CEO, the former CEO of Lunchables, was quoted as having said that if you were to take a part of Lunchables, the healthiest thing in it would be the napkin. That was their CEO. They started trying to, to put different things. They, you know, they used to put little candy bars, little crunch bars, little Reese's inside of them. They used to you know, put all these candies, and some of them still do because what they found out was whenever they were switching candy out for fresh fruit, people quit buying them. Whenever they put the candy back in, started flying off the shelves again. People, are, let me help you. People... Are, <laughs> If anybody from Lunchables ever hears this message, I'm sorry. Please don't sue me for defamation. But people are buying these things knowing they're not that delicious and knowing they are absolutely terrible for your health and we're still selling over a billion dollars worth every year of these things. Because it's convenient. Because we've become comfortable with it and it's just kind of what we're doing right now. And I think that this idea is kind of, not the Lunchables idea, but this idea of just going with what we're used to or what's normal or what's been made convenient or easy for us has kind of creeped its way into our, into our spiritual thinking. 
I, there's, there's a storm out there, God. Why would I get out of this boat? That's a perfectly good boat. And that's a storm. I don't want to get out on the water. So we've kind of just adopted this thinking that it'd just be better for me here. I can just stay right here. This will, this will be good. Things will be good. I'll be comfortable. The Lord, he won't call me out onto the water. Can I tell you what, though, church, with that kind of thinking, it's like we're living on a lunchable spiritual diet. Going home and we're opening up our devotionals and reading it every morning and we're saying, oh, I love the Lord. But our obedience and our faith maybe isn't showing it quite as much. Or maybe we pray whenever things aren't going the way that we think they should and, and that's the extent of our prayer life. It's just like we're just taking out our little Lunchable and this will be good. This is convenient for me. But can I challenge you today, church? God has not called us to live a life of convenience, has he, Brother Don? Where did you go, Brother Don? Are you, are you still in here? Yeah, he hasn't called us to a life of convenience, has he, Brother Don? He, he's called us to something a little bit better. You see, we can live off the Lunchables diet for a little while, but how many of y'all know that we need something a little bit more substantial? <laughs> a little bit more real. Something that's got a little bit more flavor in it, right? You can live off of your Lunchable, and that may be fine for a little bit of time, but I got to have some more meat. I right, throw some bell peppers on the thing, you know, put some cheese that actually came from a cow, you know, like I want something real. Someone say amen. Come on, y'all. Here's the thing. We can survive off of that. But if we would just learn to say, you know what, God? I'll be willing to, to add a little bit more flavor to my life. I'll be willing to get my foot out of this boat. I'll be willing to, to walk a little bit deeper with you. Then in that moment, the storm may be real, but in that moment, there is peace in your heart. There is joy in your life. There is strength in your body and in your spirit. Why? Because you've given up what's lesser for something that's better, something more substantial, something that is going to sustain you. Church, we've got to go beyond, I'm sorry, I'm making a mess up here, Miss Diane, two weeks in a row, but we've got to go beyond this idea that we can live this comfortable little Christian life. It's time to go to the deep end, church. It's time to go to the deep end. Mark chapter 6, verse 2 through 5, you can turn there if you want to. Uh, it's just a little, I'm just going to tell part of the story here. But I like it because, because of the way that Mark penned this. Obviously, he did it under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, as we know. But Mark chapter 6, starting in verse 2, says, The next Sabbath he began teaching in the synagogue. That's Jesus, began teaching in the synagogue. And many who heard him were amazed. Wow, that's good teaching. They asked, where did he get all of this wisdom? And where did he get all of this power to perform such miracles? And verse 3 is tragic. Then they scoffed. He's just a carpenter. Wait a second. Isn't this just the son of Mary? I mean, it, aren't, aren't James and Joseph and Judas and Simon, aren't they just brothers? Like, this, this is just Jesus. His sisters live right here among us. And it says they were deeply offended and refused to believe in him. He's at, where is he, church? He's in his hometown. The people that Jesus grew up with there in his hometown are looking at him like, how, how is he so wise? How does he have power to perform such miracles? Isn't this the same Jesus that, that bumped his knee on the soccer field whenever he was six years old? Like, didn't my children grow up playing baseball with this? Isn't this the same? Jesus, like, you know, I'm familiar with, like, I hired him to fix my cabinet door when he was 16 years old. you telling me that he's something special? Like, this, it's just Jesus. And it says that they refused to believe in him. And look at what happens next. It says in verse 4, Jesus told them, A prophet is honored everywhere except in his own hometown 
and among his relatives and his own family. And verse 5 says, And because of their unbelief, he couldn't do any miracles among them except to place his hands on a few sick people and heal them. Wow. I really like this portion of Scripture right here because it challenges my expectations of who Jesus is and what he is capable of doing. Because I love how Mark says it. He says, we went to Jesus' hometown. He started preaching. All of a sudden, everyone's like, wait a second. This is just Jesus. It says they refused to believe in him. And because they refused to have faith, Jesus could only do a few things. He could just only heal a few people. Let me put this into perspective. Imagine if this morning, someone who was crippled was pushed up here in a wheelchair and Jesus was here, and we're all like, oh, it's just Jesus. And then all of a sudden, he's like, get up and walk, and the person gets up and walks. We would go into revival, church. This is amazing. This is incredible. Look at him. Look, wow, Jesus, that's awesome. I love what Mark says. He said, ah, he just healed a few people. <laughs> like Mark had been with Jesus now for a little while. He had seen what Jesus had done in places that received him and had faith and were willing to step out of the boat with Jesus. And he had seen those places and seen the miracles and the, the magnitude of Jesus' ministry. And here in his own hometown, he can only just heal a few people. Like, in, in my life, if I was to lay my hands on someone and they were miraculously healed, I'm going to be like, Jesus, this is awesome. This is great. And Mark's just like, man, it was just, you know, a couple guys over there, a few people over here, you know, no big deal. Why? Because Jesus' disciples had a bigger expectation of what he could do and who he was than Jesus' own family and friends that were just already familiar with them. And I think we, as, a, as an American uh, group of Christians especially, we, we've just kind of become familiar with who Jesus is. And maybe that's why we haven't seen as many miracles in our churches or on our streets. It's because our expectation of him is a Lunchable's expectation. And I love this mark. It's like, he could only do a few miracles. That's it. Nothing big, nothing special. Jesus is still doing miracles. And they're like, you know what? He could do a lot more if you just have faith. He could do a lot more if you just go out into the deep end. I love what Peter says in Acts chapter 3. They've been arrested and they're in court. And the reason why is because they spoke to a man who was paralyzed and they commanded him in the name of Jesus. They grabbed him by his hand and commanded him in the name of Jesus, Christ of Nazareth, get up and walk. And the man started walking. The whole city sees it, and they're like, this is, this is new. This is cool. <laughs> so they're starting to, I mean, buzz is going on all around. The other religious leaders, I can imagine they're like, we can't do that, so we got a problem here, right? Like, they're doing that, and we're not. Like, we, we got to get this under control. A bunch of, anyways. So they arrest Peter, John. They're on trial here in the court, and it says this in Acts chapter 3. I'm, I'm sorry, no, uh, this, is, uh, this is after Jesus, or after uh, the Holy Spirit comes and, and Peter preaches in the temple. Sorry, I'm getting my, uh, my stories mixed up here. But I love this. It says in verse 12, Peter saw his opportunity, and he addressed the crowd. People of Israel, what is so surprising about this? Like, you just saw a paralyzed man get up and walk. What's so surprising about that? Is that not normal for you guys? That's normal for us? Is that not normal for you? Why stare at us as though we had made this man walk by our own power or godliness? For it is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our ancestors, who has brought glory to his servant Jesus by doing this. This is the same Jesus whom you handed over and rejected before Pilate. The same Jesus that you killed, despite Pilate's decision to release him. I love Peter's, his thought right here. They, they picked a, a paralyzed man up, commanded him in the name of Jesus Christ, and as get up and walk. The city goes into an uproar, and Peter's like, why are you so surprised? Like, this should be normal for a believer. Come on, church, this should be normal for us believers. 
Ain't nothing changed since then. We still have the same Holy Spirit today that the disciples had back then living inside of us. This should be everyday life. We should be having miracles busting out all around us and people going crazy. And we're just like, this is just normal life. You want to join us, you can. This will just be your new normal. Come on, church. It's time to get away from the Lunchables diet and start feasting on Jesus. Start feasting on the Word of God. Start feasting on the presence of the Holy Spirit. Get out of the boat and say, it's time to go to the deep end. Here's my last point, and this is short. If the worship team would come on up. Keep your eyes on Jesus. The Bible tells us, Matthew 14, that after Peter stepped out on the boat, he was walking on the water, walking to Jesus. And then it tells us whenever he looked around and saw the wind and the waves, that he began to sink. Maybe the reason why we feel like we're drowning sometimes <laughs> is because we've taken our eyes off of what's important. We've taken our eyes off of what we truly need. And we've begun to look at the world around us and get distracted with entertainment, get distracted with education even. I mean, some of these things we do, they're, they're not bad. Some of these things we do, they're good things, but we can get distracted from the reality of God's word and from the promise for believers if we would just follow him and have faith in him and get out of the boat. We get so distracted from those things because we're looking at other things around us. And we start to look at things. Again, I don't want to minimize anything you've gone through, but we start to look at our problems and, and we begin to tell Jesus how big our problems are. We should be telling our problems how big our God is. It's time to get out of the boat. It's time to go to the deep end. Problem is, if you take your eyes off of Jesus, you're going to start to sink. That's why we should never get familiar with God. And I, I say that not to, not to say that we, we shouldn't come to know him. The Bible, Paul tells us, I believe it's in the book of Colossians, that compared to knowing Jesus, everything else is garbage. So I'm not saying don't get to know God. What I'm saying is don't become too familiar with him that you start to look at him through the lens of your worldly thinking. We've been talking about for the last couple of weeks repentance, and repentance means to change your mind. You've got to change your mind about God and about who he is and but a lot of times we can become so familiar with just our, our shallow Lunchables Christianity that we forget that there's something deeper, there's something better. And if we would just keep our eyes focused on that. And so I want to challenge you. I always, I always try to give a challenge whenever I preach, something practical you can do to apply what we've just learned. And so this would be the challenge that I would give you today. It would be to start a new routine. Maybe... Some of you have been following Jesus for years and years and years and years and years, and you've got your routine that you love, you, you know, coffee with the Bible in the morning before you start anything else. I'm not bashing on that. That's amazing. Great idea. That's fantastic. The problem is if we do the same thing for too long, we'll just become too familiar with the routine and forget about some of the greater things. Can I encourage you? Maybe, maybe that was, you, you know, your lifestyle to, to just pray at those early morning hours. What if you changed it up a little bit? What if you got up during the night to pray? What if you set an alarm and got up during the night to pray? What if you decide to pray, uh, you, you set your prayer time before you go to bed? I mean, there's nothing in the Bible that says you got to pray this time or that time. But the problem is a lot of times we'll get so caught up in our routine that we'll forget that God's not normal. He's not routine. He is incredible beyond anything our minds could ever imagine. So sometimes all it takes is for us just to jar our system a little bit and just be reminded that I've got to look at this word a different way. I've got to imagine the Holy Spirit's presence in my life a different way, not routine, not normal. So maybe just pray in a different time of day or for a different amount of time or in a different place. Or maybe it's the way you read your Bible. Maybe change up the way you read your Bible. 
Maybe instead of reading what, what you love to read and what has just refreshed your heart and your spirit for so long, maybe read the book of Leviticus. <laughs> Some of you are like, oh, no. <laughs> I don't know how long it's been since you read the book of Leviticus. Let me tell you, the word of God is alive and active. Even in the book of Leviticus, where you're reading about laws and, and animal sacrifice and all of these things, maybe, just maybe, it might give you another perspective on how you see Jesus. The Bible, the old, in the Old Testament, Jesus is the mystery. In the New Testament, Jesus is the revelation. So as you're reading the Old Testament, you're not just reading something that's old, dead, and gone. It's, it's telling you all about Jesus. This book right here is one story. I'm sorry, I don't mean to, I'm not trying to, all, I didn't mean to go off on that. All I'm trying to say is this, change it up a little bit. Change up your routine. Change up what's normal for you. Maybe that would mean just reading the Bible at a different pace. Here in three days, I will have read the Bible twice, cover to cover, this year. I'll finish up my second time in just a couple of days. And the reason I did that is not because I want to be like, oh, you know, I read the Bible, you know, huh? The reason I did it is because I've, for so long, you know, I, I love to take apart Scripture verse by verse and just absolutely dissect every little piece of it. But I thought, I want to change it up a little bit. I want to read through, I'm going to change my pace and read through it quickly. And I wouldn't suggest just reading through the Bible quickly because you, you'll miss so much. But the beautiful thing about it was, was I got a different perception of a lot of things because I'm reading it so quickly now and I'm reading something in Leviticus and then I'm reading something later in 2 Kings and I'm like, oh wait, that connects. This is the same story. And so maybe it's just changing up the pace that you read the Bible. Or maybe if you've, if you've just kind of just brushed through, maybe pick out one book of the Bible that you're going to study and just be dedicated to studying and picking apart that one book. But listen, if we're going to keep our eyes focused, we, we might have to change up some things in our routine. We might have to do things a little different. Maybe that means fasting. Maybe that means fasting more or fasting in a different way. Or, or maybe that means changing the way you think about giving or your generosity. One thing Emily and I decided to do several years ago is to kind of put in our budget giving. And so we've got money set aside each month, and we just ask the Holy Spirit, who do you want us to give to this month? It's just something small that we did just to change up the routine. It's just to remind us that God's not normal, and we can look for God in different places and in different ways, and he's going to show up, and it's going to be incredible, but not if we stay in our Lunchables lifestyle. We've got to get out of the boat. If you would stand to your feet with me, if you're able. This week, I want to encourage you, just change up your routine. Get your eyes focused on Jesus. And when we do that, we'll be able to hear that voice that says, come on, come on out. And when our eyes are fixed on Jesus, we'll be more willing to say, you know what? <laughs> that looks like a terrible idea, God. But if you're there... I want to be there too. I'll step out. I'll do something different. And I don't know what that means for you today. I don't know if there's something that you've been going through in your life and, and you've just been putting it off and, and you know that God is calling you to it and you've just kind of just been putting it to the side. Can I encourage you today? Step out of the boat. Step out of the boat. There's something so much better outside of the boat than what was inside. Step out of the boat. And if any of you want to come, our altars are always open. You can come up here and pray. We'll have a prayer team that would love to pray with you. But today I want that to be our encouragement and our challenge that God is good and so we can trust him and step out of the boat. Amen. Let's worship this morning.